Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. The friends will be along in a moment. This is another episode from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, even though I'm recording this intro and some of the other bits in Dundee, Scotland. The interview and the main bulk of this week's episode is all about a show I saw called The Place You Once Forgot. It was a fascinating, uh, one-of-a-kind sort of immersive show. I'll be telling you a little bit about that in a moment. But first... uh Apparently, Disney and Sony are having some kind of kerfuffle, like a custody battle over Spider-Man. I don't really care that much. There. I've commented on something in the current cultural zeitgeist. Now let let us speak of it no more. (laughs) I had an, an incredible time at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I saw this show called Journey which was actually presented in a very, very uh, alternative space. It was called, uh, there's a caravan that that has been converted into a little seven-seat theater. It's called Swallow the Sea Caravan. And I saw this shadow puppet slash music show called Journey. And it was uh, this this little girl uh, who, it's, it's sort of like she's, she's sort of a destructive child smashing a bunch of flowers and then she gets sucked down into the underworld and, and has these interactions with like these spirits and things. And, and the puppeteer who's, who's puppeteering the show is actually singing at the same time like through like all these loop pedals and things. It was just gorgeous and, and, and very small and fringe and kind of this beautiful little thing. Um, I highly recommend you go check out swallowthesea.com to find out more about that show and the other shows that they did in their caravan they were a lovely group to get to meet and interact with a little bit i unfortunately didn't have time to interview them for the podcast but i at some point would love to and uh just wanted to spread the word about them swallow the sea on instagram and all the things check them out they're amazing strangely recommends in 200 words or less including these 11. Who who imposed this rule? NaNoWriMo. Every November, millions of writers from around the world sign up for a voluntary challenge to write an entire novel in the span of one month. Hence the name National Novel Writing Month, or NaNoWriMo for short. The challenge emphasizes breaking down the insurmountable project into smaller bits, 1,666 words per day to be precise. At the end of 30 days, if you hit your word count, you'll have written a novel. I've finished six. 92 words left. A huge part of my interest in word counts, something obvious in this very segment, arises from my involvement with NaNoWriMo. Having a small goal or a parade of them that all build toward a larger thing is my jam. The NaNoWriMo philosophy also prohibits revision or editing until after December 1st. This pushes you to just finish the damn project to finally get the thing out of you. So many people talk and dream of the novel or film script they have always wanted to write. NaNoWriMo is what allowed me to make mine. This November, why not write yours? We'll do it together. 
So my main segment in this episode is my chat with Ladybug and Leviathan. They're a, a collective that produces immersive theater. They're based in LA. I, I, I was at a Sweet Venues, this fringe, and I was kind of hanging out in the lobby, and I kept seeing this. <laughs> the best way I can describe this guy is like whimsical fuckery running around. So there was this guy, and, and one by one, he was taking people back into this room, and then they were going in the room, and, and it was all very hush-hush, and they could quietly go back in the room, and, and something would happen in the room, and the people would always come out very joyful, and I thought, I have to see this. Uh, I tried to get a ticket, but there were no tickets available. They had uh, something like 30 or 40 performances during the entire course of Edinburgh Fringe, and tickets were 10 pounds, and there was only one audience member per show. So I actually tracked down the producer of the show who was also at Fringe and I said hey I I love things like this I'm really into things like this could I possibly like do a podcast interview with you folks I, I, I didn't get a ticket to see the show I, I just want to chat with you folks because <laughs> this is my thing you know I, I love making my little seance show for only six people or you know doing Roaring Accordion for three people or whatever like I, I love it when that happens and to make a show that's specifically built for one audience member at a time is just a beautiful thing to want to create. So I, 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 you know, I kind of stumbled all over myself like I am now explaining this to her. And she said, oh, tell you what, come back tomorrow, a half hour before we're supposed to start doing shows and we'll do the show for you. We can add a show just for you. And and so I did. I, w I went back, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about how the show worked and what happened. I some of the details are a little bit hazy in my mind, but I think, I think it'll help uh, your enjoyment of the conversation I have with the Ladybug and Leviathan folks uh, coming up. So I had been up way too late the night before, and so I, I woke up about 20 minutes before I had to get there. You know, it was just a five-minute walk, so I woke up, drank as much coffee as I could, ate a piece of toast, and just rushed out the door. I got there and went up to the, the box office and told them, you know, it's me, I'm on this comp ticket. And they said, all right, uh, go find the man in a gray suit with a green scarf. And I said, okay. And they said, that's the beginning of the show. Go find him. So I kind of wandered around the lobby and I, I found a man sitting there reading a magazine with a gray suit and a green scarf and realized that he was the, the whimsical fuckery fellow that I'd seen running around the day before. So I sat down across from him and I, I said hello and he said hello and he just immediately started speaking in this very specific way, you know, talking about when was the last time you let yourself be truly, like, beautifully happy. And, you know, kind of just already creating that sense of childlike wonder and 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 setting a tone for the show. So then he sort of talked about how that's a that feeling is a place that you might have forgotten, but it still remembers you. He said, come with me. So we started walking through the lobby and kind of ducking behind things and crawled under a chair, just just really joyful movements and back into the, you know, the, the theaters. And then he. He tried a few doors and they were all locked and then he found a door that was unlocked and he said, go ahead, go inside. And I went inside and the room, you can picture this, I think, the rooms, all of the walls of the room were covered in black theater curtains. So the room was very dark and it was the lighting was really low and there was sort of this ambient kind of 
of space feeling. Like the room felt immense and the ceiling looked like a field of stars. And just inside the door, there was a little tent made out of blankets and a folding table, you know, just like something like a kid would make at a slumber party. And there was a woman sitting in it. She said, hi, come over here. Do you, do you, do you wanna, do you wanna hear a story? And, and began talking to me and she had me pick up a, a postcard out of a pile of postcards and, and, and it was a picture of a road and she, she talked about the open road and she said, and of course this story has an animal in it and she had me pick an animal out of a book of animal stickers and then she put the sticker on the postcard and just sort of told me how this, this bedtime story was her favorite bedtime story, the, the toucan, I picked a toucan, the toucan who goes out on the open road and as the, the story went on, she started to get sleepy and the story helped her fall asleep. So she fell asleep. It was really hard for me to stay awake to hear the next part of the show because I was also very sleepy. But it, it was just this beautiful moment. And then she said, I think there's somebody over there. So I went over to the other corner of the room. There's a woman sitting there with a tea set and she's talking about how she's going to make tea for me. The perfect, m mysterious, you know, tea from my memory. So we talk about tastes and flavors and, and, then, and then she asked me laughter or screams and I said screams and she opened the top of the teapot and screamed into it like ah! and, and the teapot was full of this kind of glowing mist and then she poured me a cup of this tea that we'd made by telling stories and I you know pretended to sip it because it's no liquid but it's sort of like this this ephemeral feeling and then the end of of the show she said you know you can always get back to this place because you have the key she handed me a small little key trinket on a on a piece of ribbon and I, I I'm still wearing it because that the feeling of that show is still with me so then I, I I made my way out of the room past the sleeping girl in the tent and and out and and the the whimsical man in the gray suit with the green scarf was waiting for me and he he walked me back to the lobby and sort of sent me off on my way with just the right note of just something beautiful that the place that you once forgot that feeling it hasn't forgotten you and you can find it again so without further ado here's my chat with ladybug and leviathan i hope you folks enjoy it Just as long as I don't do as bad as that um, Sigaros interview on NPR. I don't know if any of you have seen that, but it's like, no. yeah, yeah, it's the most awkward interview of all time because he's <laughs> like, he, he's like, hello, I'm sitting with Sigaros. Sigaros is, and then he reads their names and butchers them because they're Icelandic. Yeah. He's, and he's like, like, how did I do? And they're like, you, that's uh, pretty good. <laughs> yes. And then he's like, he's so unprepared. So he's like. So you're from Iceland. Like, do you think that informs your music? And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. No <laughs> shit. Uh, so, uh, not gotcha podcasting. I could totally cut things out. Like, so I'm totally fine with that. So, like, if you end up, like, saying something and you're like, I'm leaving my husband. He doesn't know yet or whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, I got uh, that. actually happened with someone I know in grad school. We, like, had a meeting with a professor and he, uh -huh. like, talked about his wife. And then afterwards, he, like, sent 
then people in the meeting had confidential emails. It was like, don't tell anyone, but like I'm divorcing my wife, and that meeting was really awkward. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Oh. <laughs> well, Brian. You just made that a whole different feeling. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then as much as possible, um, I don't know if you've all seen the Key and Peele sketch, One at a Time, where mm -hmm. they're making fun of Les Mis, and he's just like, can we all just speak one at a time? Yeah. So uh, as much as possible, but you know, again, it's informal. So uh, I think that's all the, oh, and then at the end I asked the guests to tell a joke. This is my first uh, more than two guests at once. So this will be oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so yeah, welcome to Strangely and Friends, the podcast. I'm Strangely, this is the podcast. The friends are all here. Hey. Uh, so we'll start, I guess we'll go around the table and just introduce yourself and say what your role is in the, the, com the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess whoever goes first, tell me what the company is. So I'll have you go first. All right, um, my name is Megan Combs and the company is Ladybug and Leviathan Productions. And it is based on Lindsay and Mercer Productions. And this is our very first one, and I wanted to take it here. And here we are. You're here. Uh, I, <laughs> hey. I'm here, yeah. I guess I didn't mention that we are in uh, the uh, Novotel Hotel in Edinburgh, Scotland, mm -hmm. in the middle of the largest collection of performing artists on the planet. So thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Um, and one more time, your name, sorry. Oh, Megan Combs. Megan Combs. Yeah. All right. And um, I'm a co-creator here. I'm Carly Blair, mm -hmm. and I am the co-creator of this show with Megan, and we are also performing in it. And yes, this show is a collaboration of our company, Ladybug and Leviathan, that we formed in the process of creating this show <laughs> and with a company called Meta For You, which Terrence will talk about because he will be talking next. Hey, I'm <laughs> Terrence and I'm talking next. Um, I'm Terrence LeClaire. I started a company called Meta For You. Um, the three of us are veteran immersive performers from Los Angeles. So we've performed collectively and possibly hundreds of shows and experiences that require one-on-one -on -one audience interactive interpersonal skills um, in Los Angeles and worldwide yeah. uh, because we uh, also performed in Paris and Mexico and now in the UK. Um, and so it's a, it's a collaboration, yes. Uh, Ladybug and Leviathan, which is Megan and Carly, wanted to create a show full of whimsy that kind of echoes a lot of the work that we did in Los Angeles, um, which relies on empathy, um, creating a space for one audience member at a time to um, introspect and find peace and joy and happiness. Um, there are other shows that Carly produced, such as Whisper Lodge that Megan and I performed in which is an ASMR experience show. So one-on-one -on -one shows with a healing nature tends to be the stuff that we three are drawn to, which made it really cool. And I'm lucky to be working with these two wonderful actresses. And we also have in the room Annie McGrath, who has been our 
chief everything, uh, <laughs> just setting up the space, hooking up uh, press and you know tickets and just social media, all of it. So I'll pass the mic to her next. Um, well, I guess Terrence kind of covered it, but I'm Annie McGrath. <laughs> I literally just raised my hand, even though this is a podcast. <laughs> um, I am here as a producer. Uh, this is my fourth fringe, so I've been kind of helping with the logistics of just navigating the Edinburgh fringe environment and with some of our like communications and PR and social media stuff. You said it was your fourth fringe. Is it... Or is this the first fringe for the rest of you? This is my second fringe. So it's your Megan's second fringe. Megan's Wh- second fringe. What? It <laughs> <laughs> should be a, a picture book. Right. What? Uh, what were you here with before? Uh, I was here with a show called The Emotional Immune System, mm-hmm. and it was about it was a monologue show mm-hmm. from women's perspective of being stuck in different situations, from big situations through just everyday ones and having to deal with it and it's it was a feminist show but it wasn't men bashing at all nice. so, yeah well all right very different from this but yeah <laughs> so this is your fourth fringe yes uh, what were your other fringes um so i came here actually twice as a teen in high school um <laughs> i performed in a crazy musical version of macbeth which I think is the last time I ever performed on stage. And then I came back as part of the same high school program and assistant directed and stage managed a crazy musical version of Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And I, um, into the, at the 2012 Fringe, I produced a world, the world premiere of a show that I helped develop with a writer-director named Josh McTaggart, who's working in London now. And it was called The House of Shadows, and it was based on a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale. Cool. So I, I guess this is sort of a general question, and I, I don't like to do general questions, and I end up doing them because I like to give people open-ended mm-hmm. uh, things. Uh, did You're all obviously passionate about immersive theater, particularly the one-on-one experience. Mm-hmm. I, have, uh, I have experienced your show here, and mm-hmm. at some point in the podcast, I'll probably drop in a little bit of a, a, a description of my experience. Um, but what is it about the one-on-one thing that is attractive or essential or necessary for the thing that you create? A lot of connection. I'm very fascinated with the human connection, and I feel like we can tap into story much more, and everyone has their own experience that no one else will have. Yeah, I've read a lot of studies that say now more than ever people are um, seeking experiences more than physical objects to own. And I think it's because people crave that kind of connection and attention. And when you're in a one-on-one setting where the focus is entirely on you as an individual, I think that's like the most the way that you can concentrate all of that into um, even just a short time because the show is just 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too because I mean as people we all on a deeper level you know come in this world by ourselves leave this world by ourselves when we're on our phones we're by ourselves 
you know, when we're watching a movie, sometimes even sitting with other people, it's a very personal, individual experience. Mm -hmm. So when one person gets to experience an immersive show by themselves, it really is a journey of them. And um, it's wonderful because you get to tap into so much. I always feel like the uh, best special effects studio is in the audience's mind. So if you're able to just let them play with that and then also give them a space for that. And when you have, especially when there's one actor with another, so it's like strictly one-on-one, -on -one, it really allows for that kind of intimacy that is shockingly rare today mm -hmm. to have that, a space which is safe. There's also, uh, we've all studied um, various forms of acting and Meisner was one that really resonated with me. And when it's one-on-one -on -one like this, it really feels like a Meisner scene where the audience is your scene partner. And so you really get to give them that's, except a lot nicer, because <laughs> Meisner right. can get very aggressive. Um, <laughs> but it creates that place where you create that theatrical convention of this is a safe space. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. playing with the audience member as your scene partner. You endow them with everything that makes people fall in love with acting, which is you know, really amazing. And I don't know if many audience members pick up on that or like know that that's happening, but they definitely do pick up on that. They feel like, you can see that they feel like empowered or with something. Yeah, in the subconscious, for sure. Um, can I hit pause for one sec sure. to turn off the sound system in the room? Because oh, it yeah, is thank you. Oh. Perfect. Yeah, I, uh, Sorry. I <laughs> sometimes have a hard time hearing low-level noises like that because I have tinnitus. Oh, I have a little bit too. From, uh, it's either the show I did with a Balkan band six years ago or the show I did with a Balkan band 11 years ago. One of those. <laughs> I blame the Balkan band. Yeah. about that? What's uh, that? <laughs> I just, I, I play accordion for a living and occasionally you get thrown into, into things. Um, I, I'm, I, I know that it's like annoying to sometimes to have people be like, this reminds, your thing reminds me of thing. I love um, that. But in the, the, I'm so curious if uh, either the two of you who sort of created the show uh, have read uh, The Night Circus. I'm actually reading it right now. I'm no, I about a third of the way through it. So there's a, there's a scene in The Night Circus you know, the, the the book is mostly the narrative, but then there's the other scenes where it's just describing, like, being a patron. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene that describes one of the tents, and it's a very small space. Like, from the outside, it, you know, looks like a little uh, 10 by 10 or whatever, and then you go inside, and it's a huge, vast mm -hmm. space. And I was thinking of that when I came in here, because I, I hate... I, I love sweet venues. I love working with them. I love the producers. I love the, the audiences. I hate the rooms yeah. because <laughs> we're all in conference rooms in a hotel. Mm -hmm. And so many of the shows never quite get past that because we still have like the popcorn foam board ceilings and the, oh, this carpet. Um, <laughs> but your show like managed to completely transcend the, the physical space that we're presenting in. And I think a, a big part of that was that you did, you kept the lights so low, um, mm -hmm. and the, the reason I'm just drawing the night circus connection is because a, a big part of 
the writing of that book is about how space is transformed through lighting or mood or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you haven't read that book, I'm curious sort of where this particular concept grew out of. Um, the concept of the space or just all of it in general? Just sort of how you use the space. Like it, it didn't feel like this was your first time doing mm. this type yeah. of show, but, may, but sort of this show. Like did you made something at a fringe <laughs> feel site specific, yeah. <laughs> which at, you know is your first time doing a thing at a fringe. So I guess I'm just curious about that process. Well, I wanted to create a space because there's probably a place you want to sit at, mm-hmm. and when I was visualizing it in my head, I didn't want it to be like a specific place that you know that you've seen, like a bedroom or something. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be like where it would be like in your childhood mind, like vast and never-ending and so I first pictured stars mm-hmm. and also I, I or like some type of mood lighting but I didn't want it to be bright I wanted it to be focused in I wanted your eyes to relax so it calmed you naturally and um, I wanted it to be able to transcend to two different areas seamlessly so I just I, pi- I came in my mind with the stars. That's where it all started. Um, last year at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, I created a piece called Snow Fridge, and that was in a room that was just about this size in the basement of a restaurant <laughs> in Hollywood. And um, yeah, we kind of did the same thing. We wanted to kind of transform it into a space that was inspiring but neutral because um, it was a, it was a similar type of show but more improvised and so we just we kind of just put like hung sheets up and then had a projection of snow falling and kept the lights down um, I think we kept the lights off except for just like little mm-hmm. lanterns and stuff and people seemed to find that very meditative and very transformative and they didn't feel like they were in the basement of a restaurant. <laughs> so, I have to. I have a confession to make. I was up very late last night. Mm-hmm. It's fringe, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, then I woke up early and, and nommed some toast and, and made some coffee and ran down here just in time because it, it, it's so kind of you all to do an extra show that I could see. Um, have you had people just like come in and completely fall asleep? No. Never. No. <laughs> I just asked because like you know I was tired and everything and I just woken up and I and then all of a sudden I come in here and it's like very calm. It's like sit down on this pillow and it's the stars are out again mm-hmm. and uh, my my body was just like oh thank goodness because <laughs> I, I I had no idea what was gonna happen in here. Yeah. Um, and you know my I I'm friends with a lot of the Urban Death crew and they do like. They do. They also do immersive theater, but it's yeah. a lot more like we just dumped a bucket of Jello on you. Yeah, it does exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like this whole, yeah. you know, the kind of uh, comedy stuff I I often enjoy is like calming, calming, mm-hmm. calming, calming, wrecking ball through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> did you feel like something like I'm curious about that because some haunt people. It's funny, like kind of audiences that come through immersive, like some who come from haunt worlds, mm-hmm. they're kind of always on edge, like what's gonna happen. Yeah. Like was that your experience? It was until uh, until the moment where you said uh, laughter or screams, 
And I said screams. I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and then he just like yelled in the teapot. Ah! And I was like, oh, that. okay. Yeah, make the, you can make the noise. <laughs> yeah, so then you were the, actually the first person that you chose screams. You were the very first person. Really? Yeah. Of the whole run? Of the whole run. Wow. So far. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. I was like, there could be any number of people back there with any number of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like all the lights come on and guys with air horns. <laughs> uh, but, but at the same time, like as, as much as like there's the on-edge quality to that, having a space where it does feel like literally anything is possible mm. and any amount of anything is waiting just behind the curtain is is just delightful. Is it I mean, yeah, I I struggle to not fall asleep during my, you know, part where I'm supposed to be falling asleep. I'm I'm, right. I'm constantly scared that uh, I'm actually going to be asleep when the audience member comes through the door because as you said it is fringe and I stay up late always in general <laughs> not just here is is having like the dim room with the possibility of falling asleep because you're just kind of like in a very relaxed environment is, th is that like a creative choice that here specifically at this festival you possibly regret just a little bit <laughs> um <laughs> actually it does it does kind of help me uh wake up in the morning because it's like mm -hmm. I imagine if we had the same time slot but a, a show that was very bright and energetic and involved I don't know flashing lights and dancing and things like that it would be um, a, a lot more of an adjustment to waking up so I think it's it's a nice it's a nice transition from mm -hmm. for, for a, a morning slot show yeah I always feel refreshed after mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. good way to start the day yeah is it, yeah, it's, it is a very gentle thing on, I would assume, on the performer for the most part. Speaking of regrets, I guess, uh, this can't be a profitable show that you're producing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I actually am not the financial backer. Mm -hmm. It's a team effort. Um, I think the idea behind the show is more to have the experience of Fringe and to bring this kind of LA style, extremely personalized, immersive, um, extremely personalized, like positive, immersive experience mm -hmm. to a wider audience. Um, these guys who created it and are performing it are really involved in that world in LA, and it's this really like intense, amazing community. And um, just taking, they're all really devoted to, the, to it as an art form. So the point of this is just to take that art form and see how it plays in a different location to different audiences that's something that i can i ask a question of course <laughs> because i have wanted to ask this actually before is how do you guys feel the difference in the audience between when you were testing it out in la and the audiences you've had so far at fringe well so that's interesting and that like speaks to your saying i'm really glad you said you made the show seem site specific to a hotel earlier because that's kind of with meta for you we do like bespoke experiences, like site specific, but also client specific and audience specific. So we really look at all elements that are there and try to create frictionless stories with that. Um, what that means is, okay, what are the pieces we're playing with? We have a hotel lobby. We have the entrance of a hotel lobby to a conference room that's made into a black box. That it, That's our playing space. So for this, yeah, uh, um, 
Ladybug and Leviathan created like an amazing space for people to go into with the black box. But we still had all the uh, outside stuff to play with. And so, um, you know, that we, we created like an experience that sort of fit that and would ease people into that world and ease people out. Um, so to get to your question, in LA, we obviously didn't have the hotel. We'd had like, we play tested in a space that was like on Santa Monica and Western <laughs> where the people had to go outside and everything and walk up these stairs into this other space. So a lot of the dialogue was still the same. Um, just it had a different feel because the people were playtesting it, new immersive. Mm -hmm. uh, so they kind of knew what they were getting into, um, immersive interactive one-on-ones. And, uh, and as for the story part of it, the outside part changed. I imagine the inside part was very much the same. Yeah, um, ever, they were, everyone was very much into it and um, yeah I would say that um, perhaps um, because this this kind of work doesn't seem to happen very much at the fringe or as much as much as I would like to see it happening. Um, There's a lot of shows where it happens inadvertently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah there, was, there was a lot of that, like the onboarding, offboarding, outside. Mm -hmm. It felt a lot like, oh, is this happening now? Or is I was supposed to find you, like right. the whole thing. So that really had to be made meta in order to like ease people. It's like for them to understand, it's like you're about to enter a theater of one, mm -hmm. but the theater is the one you carry with you. Right. And so how do you like get people's heads to wrap around that. And so it's yeah. coming up with clever ways to get people. I think that people was the biggest extra difference. delighted yeah. to have that when they were in here. Something I noticed the difference between the LA people and the people here mm -hmm. is people are so down to play here because they haven't experienced something like this. Right. And they just, the, it's like a switch has been turned to, for them. Like they have the okay to go ahead. And with my teapot, I've had so many people describe to me the taste of the tea and how it reminds them of things, and mm -hmm. they just go there. And I didn't get that with when we tested in LA. They just, yeah. it's more free. And I think perhaps because mm -hmm. so many immersive experiences are happening in LA, um, people are might be have gotten used to you know just that kind of play and. It's it's may not also be I as think new and exciting anymore. The scene kind of like mistakes uh, promenade theater with immersive interactive theater in the sense that like audiences sometimes if they play too much, some creators will ask them to leave. You know, like you're breaking the show kind of thing. Right. And so it's it's a very tricky thing um, and one that we're very aware of as performers and because we all have an improv background. Uh, Carly met Megan doing improv, right? On an yeah. improv team, yeah. Um, and so it almost feels like unnatural to have an experience with someone where you're not inviting them to play, um, especially when it's just the two of you, you know what I mean? Right. Like you and an audience member. Um, so it maybe like that's why the play testers were kind of like, okay, we're gonna sit back and you're gonna do your thing. Mm. Um, there's no rules like that here yet. So maybe that's why people play more. Yeah. Well, I think also, like, 
I, I made the joke about one on one immersive theater happens a lot here inadvertently. Mm -hmm. There's just the, the, the average audience size at a show this year at Edinburgh Fringe <laughs> is four. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's counting all of the shows where there are 500 people booked in to see some shite TV comedian. Yeah. Um, so, like, with those kind of, like, um, those those numbers, like, there's a lot of shows where there's one person booked in. Mm. Uh, see, they should just do immersive, man. Yeah, mm. well, it, but it, it sort of it becomes that. The best ones, like, something like that will happen. My friend Thomas did a legendary show at the Caves uh, years ago, uh, Underbelly, mm -hmm. where he... There, there was like a balcony way up. It wasn't a good place to watch the show from, but the staff would always go watch his show from the balcony because mm -hmm. he's hilarious and amazing. And he had one audience. And the show always has a part where he gets crowd surfed to the back of the room and then up to the front. <laughs> so he made the guy give him a piggyback ride around the room. <laughs> nice. Oh, incredible. I love that. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, <laughs> and, and, and Thomas does that. I, I've had shows with two, three people at them, like yeah. very small. And the best performers do this thing that I seek to do when I have a small audience like that is make it special, mm -hmm. make it immersive. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons Accordion Fight Show gives out free booze is that <laughs> everybody does. I don't know why. Uh, but years ago I was doing a show and I had this big, huge show planned and my energy was really high and I had five people show up and I was just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. These are Australians. They're expecting a good time. <laughs> like I flew down here from, you know, for this Adelaide Fringe, and I was just like, oh, I've got a flask in my pocket, and it's full, mm -hmm. and it, this is the right amount of people to share a flask. So th I just took a swig, gave my flask, and they were just passing my flask back and forth for the rest of the show, and it like the environment changed utterly mm -hmm. into this this other thing, and and I, I think like shows like this like audiences here love that mm -hmm. because so often you do end up being the one person or the two or three people and it's really awkward it's a 70 seat venue and mm. it's really dark like really meditative Shakespeare or something and <laughs> you can just kind of feel out alone in the cold and this is the opposite of that feeling it's like we have created a place for you to be present uh, let's see I just checked the time oh my goodness this is longer than usual that's Ooh. wonderful <laughs> uh, uh, there's so many more questions I want to ask all of you, but I'm going to actually be coming to LA soon, so oh, we can all catch up a little bit more. <laughs> uh, so I guess as we're winding down, um, I hope that you bring more things like this to Edinburgh Fringe and other fringes around the world. Yeah. If if you could expand it, would you like into sort of like a a larger immersive experience, or do you like the sort of ten by ten? two stations inside thing that you're doing? I think it would be cool if we could like, I don't know, add more rooms, more scenes mm -hmm. to it, and then like kind of stagger audience members so then like the first person would come in and see me and then they'd go to Megan and while the next person comes into me and then they move on to the next person. Mm -hmm. right. I like, I think it would be fun to explore um, like a more complex way of like adding stuff to it and making it maybe a longer show mm -hmm. I've had different thoughts about it um, I had thoughts about like keeping the same format but then adding more time to each moment mm -hmm. and that as well but definitely want to experiment with it for sure 
I think I'm not as creative um, on the project, yeah. but I think um, one thing for me um, that I think would be interesting with this show is in a different space creating, mm -hmm. um, having each of the scenes being just more physically isolated mm -hmm. from the other scene, um, since a big theme of the show is just being present in yourself and reducing the visual noise of each scene would just bring that to the next level. Yeah, it's interesting because the show you produced with Dilaj Gabriel and that basically operates when it comes to LA, you know, you rent a house mm -hmm. and everyone has their own room. So it would be like Annie's suggesting of everyone going to a separate room and just kind of going through that experience like that. Um, so it's very doable. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that it's pocket size. I think pocket size immersive shows are kind of a taking like a wheatgrass shot of immersive <laughs> just to get you you're allergic to that so just a happy <laughs> shot whatever you want to a, shot. a shot an actual <laughs> shot I mean, we are in scotland <laughs> a That's shot right. yeah a shot uh, a scotch shot <laughs> so you take that and you yeah. go about your day well lovely does, does anybody else have any uh passing parting comments i guess before we get into the You're social so media cool. stuff. You're so cool. Thanks oh. so much yeah. for finding <laughs> yeah. the place that you um, once forgot. Don't forget <laughs> it now. I guess I just want to say um, the reason this idea came to me is because the world we're in right now is it's rough. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on, and we kind of tend to forget um, ourselves, and we get lost in everything else, and to connect back to that love, our in, that inner love, that inner child. And I just really wanted people to remember that. And whoever's listening to that, I, to this, I hope you remember that as well. Your inner child is calling you. That's a perfect spot to end this. <laughs> so uh, social media stuff, where can, where can people find out more about all of this? Um, yeah, so we are on Instagram at Ladybug and Leviathan and at Meta for You. We are on Twitter, barely. It's at <laughs> L and L Immersive. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we and <laughs> at Meta for You. And we have a website set up for the show, which is Ladybug and Leviathan.tumblr.com. And if you're not familiar with Tumblr, which you probably are, but just in case, it's T U M B L R. To oh yeah, is that big here? Is that just a U.S. thing? Or? No, I, I mean, to, it's it's a the division <laughs> is less geographic and more uh, <laughs> demographic. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, perfect. Uh, anybody else have anything they want to plug? Talk about? You have stuff coming up in L.A. Yeah, always. Um, I mean, if you go visit those sites and metafee.com. Uh, there's, there's always fun things going on. Oh, individually, yeah. Look up Megan Combs, Carly Blair, Terrence LeClaire. Um, as performers, we perform in lots of different things. The Society. Yeah, the Society's um, going on right now. Which yeah. is a... Uh, the Society Now. The Society Now. It's a cult-based ARG. It's not a cult. It's a, it's a, sp <laughs> it's it's a spiritual it's a community. I should know this. Of all people, I should know. <laughs> it's not a cult at all. 
Um, There's a lot of fun things. And Annie McGrath. And check out Christmas at Dollywood <laughs> <laughs> this holiday season on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. 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 Is that something you produce? That is something I produce, yes. Well, we, you and I may need to do a, a whole entire other podcast <laughs> interview about producing TV. Because uh, I would I would love to hear about that. <laughs> So that was my chat with Ladybug and Leviathan. I hope you folks enjoyed it. It did get a little bit rambly and off in the weeds, but that was also my first time interviewing more than a a one-on-one with somebody. So I I hope that was enjoyable. I I had so much fun talking to them and I I can't wait to to go visit some of them in LA because we're gonna, we all decided to stay in touch. Uh, But yeah, that, just a delightful show. I hope my description of the show sort of aided you in picturing the show as we spoke about it. If you want to find out more about them, you can go to Ladybug and Leviathan, spelled just like those words are spelled, dot tumblr.com. Ladybug and Leviathan dot tumblr.com for their uh, website, and I think you can find their other social media things through that. Beautiful show. Excellent, excellent art. Song of the Week. This week's song is one that I've been kind of working on for a while, and this is, I think, pretty much the final version of the song as it will appear in the show I've written it for. Uh, last year's Fringe, I met an actress named Jonica Patella, and she and I hit it off, and we started working on a sort of a dark cabaret theater magic show, and this is one of the songs from the show. I hope you enjoy it. I, 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 I just want you to picture like a wind-up, life-size doll dancing and looking at you with eyes that are not quite right. begins to move with a tick. Clever little fingers have set the spirit free. Tiny eyes snap open with a click. Rattle, rattle, click, clack, rattle, trap. The ratchets all turn as she jumps around the ring. Rattle, rattle, click, clack, rattle, trap. She holds up her hands as if in offering. Jumps around the ring, rattle, rattle, click, clack, rattle, trap. With a buzz and a whir, the doll begins to sing. Tune you like 
It seems it's now the doll's turn to choose. Rattle, rattle, rattle trap. She chimes a tiny bell and she ceases to sing. Rattle, rattle, rattle trap. With a buzz and a whir, the doll walks off the rip. Mailbag. I got a postcard in the mail. I, I haven't been able to include it in any of the episodes previous, so I'm sorry to the author of this postcard who did not sign it, but that's all right. Uh, I'm going to answer one of your questions today. The postcard is, is a really good image. So it's, it's a, there's a mousetrap with some cheese in it, and there's a mouse standing right at the mousetrap looking at the mousetrap but the mouse is wearing like a, a like a crash crash helmet like an evil Knievel so I kind of think it's like a, an evil Knievel mouse who's like I got this that mouse is definitely going to get that cheese it's a delightful postcard I will post uh, on the on the Instagram post about this episode I will include a photo of this postcard because it is just it's a delightful delightful postcard I'm actually taking a photo of it now so I do not forget Oh yeah, photo taken. That's some riveting podcasting right there, I know. All right, so here's the question. <clears throat> I'm heading back to college full time. See opposite side, <laughs> the picture of the mouse with the cheese. After a couple of previous tries at it and some long gaps in between. It's really fascinating thing about this question is that that is literally what I am doing as well at the end of September. So I'm going to answer the first question. I'll, I'll just I'll do both questions today. So part one, can you suggest any mantras for somehow taking this ridiculous process seriously enough to finish this time? I don't know about mantras per se, but uh, I, I honestly, I found that whenever I'm not in academia, I miss it almost as much as I hate it when I'm there. So I just kind of try to imagine that I'm, you know, running to get Professor Snape my 18 inches of parchment on werewolves or whatever. Because honestly, I think almost anything can be interesting if you imagine that it might be critical to to finding the Sorcerer's Stone later. Uh, that's that's really not helpful. However, uh, this, this second question, I think, is um, any suggestions about how to balance needing bigger notebooks for school with bullet journaling? switch everything over to a larger format and just burn through books faster or gasp carry to notebooks and then also this this uh lovely person said love the show uh I, I think that means that they love the show it might also mean that they uh want me to love the show i'm not sure anyway i you know that, that talking about balance um less with mantras I think, you know, I mentioned in the earlier segment talking about NaNoWriMo, the idea of breaking things down into smaller, more doable chunks. If you have to read a thousand page book, reading a thousand pages is ridiculously difficult. However, reading 10, say 20 pages a day, if you read a 20 pages a day of a thousand page book, you'll have read the whole book in 50 days. If you need to read it in 25 days, that's 40 pages a day. 40 pages a day is not nearly as difficult as a thousand pages tonight before the exam tomorrow. Uh, that's all well and good, but I, I really am a big fan of those chunks. Also, I'm a really big fan of interval timers. I use one called Stay Focused, I believe is what it's called. Um, and 
that uh, or be focused pro i think it's called be focused something like that essentially what it does is it is a timer that runs for 55 minutes and then beeps at me and then i get a 10 minute break to do whatever and then it beeps at me again and i can go for 55 more minutes because i know that break is coming a lot of the distractions like popping over to youtube for a second that turns into half an hour go away a little bit because i know like my youtube impulse or my go make a snack impulse is going to have time set aside for it during that 10 minute break i can do whatever i want i can even keep the only thing i can't do is keep working i have to put the task down for at least the period of that break and then also with um be focused i think it's like every certain amount of intervals i get a longer break of, of 45 minutes and that's that's enough time to watch an episode of futurama or, or lost girl or uh my current kick is um orphan black right now so you know even in the middle of my workday i'm i'm sometimes taking 45 minutes out uh, granted i'm self-employed but i think being a student is a lot like that the amount of time that you actually have to be at class like i'm taking a full course load this fall and i only have to be physically in class for about six hours a week so it's it's really mostly still as a self-employed thing to actually answer your question about the notebooks though I'm a big fan of double, double, double copying. So generally what I do is I just carry around one notebook for everything. Everything goes in the notebook. School notes, ideas for stories, song lyrics, people's phone numbers, diary entries. It's also my bujo. It's just all one notebook. Granted, I burn through notebooks a little bit faster, but the nice thing about that is you're not ending up with a book half full that is not really practical anymore because you've bujoed it out for a month that has no longer happened or whatever. And then oftentimes if it's school notes, I take those, I usually take school notes longhand. And then when I get home, I type them into my computer. So I'm actually running through the material a second time. And sometimes I'll even do the, the type into the computer thing a second time to revise. It's just something about the the act of of reading my handwriting which is difficult to read even for me and then transposing it into typing really really cements that into my mind i also i'm a fan of minimalism i i try to have as little of stuff on me as possible i'm on a six-week tour right now as i record this and i only have my accordion bag a small carpet bag and a small suitcase with me and I could live out of those three bags indefinitely. And I think part of that is is learning how to downsize, downsize, downsize. So I have one book with me that I'm reading, a book called Brother by David uh, Cheriandi. Cheriandi. I, I, it's a Canadian book. It's fantastic. I recommend it. Uh, and one notebook for writing all of my notes and thoughts, dreams, journal entries, whatever in. Uh, and then that notebook can be revised into the computer. So I, I composed a song uh the, the last the previous episode the song i composed was uh it was written out longhand in this notebook and then i typed it into my computer as sort of the second draft and that allowed me to kind of fix up some things count some syllables move some stuff around and and also be a little bit more intentive with some of the bits so uh that's kind of my songwriting process and i also carry that into my learning process I hope that helps you, anonymous uh, Daredevil Mouse fan. 
That about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I had a fantastic time interviewing Ladybug and Leviathan. I hope you folks enjoyed that as much as I did. I, uh, at some point, would love to have them back to do sort of a radio play of something for this podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm actually planning on writing some fiction prose for this podcast at some point. So I hope that's something that all of you are looking forward to as well. If you like the podcast, please tell other people about it, share it around, and and write into the mailbag with your questions or comments or anything, just stuff you want me to talk about. Uh, if you want to write into the podcast, it's strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, number 21, Bellingham, Washington, 98225, USA. I love getting letters and notes. I've got another thing that I got in the mail that I'm going to talk about on the next episode. It's it's such a weird thing that I got, but I'm just really excited to share it. I uh, also, you know, share it around. I don't really do the social media thing because this podcast is how I connect. This My writing, my songs, and everything like that. I just, I the whole social media thing is not my bag. But if it is your bag, please share the podcast around. Tell folks about it. I, you know, every person who comes and listens helps. If you want to help a little bit more, I do have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you are all having a great time out there. I am just loading up on stories from this trip, and uh, I hope to see you all soon. Cheers. I have a bad joke. Go for it. Hey. Um, so I was talking to my ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. and he was saying um, he's not really ready to be a dad because he doesn't own a ladder. And uh, the reason we broke up is because he had a stepladder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production.